Hi, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to episode 12 of Digging Deeper. This is a weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a theme or subject and explores what the Bible has to say about it. Christians today are going through a process of faith deconstruction. This can be a very healthy practice as long as a strong and vibrant faith is also reconstructed. In this episode, I'll provide some helpful things to consider if you're deconstructing. More on that later. But first, I've received some emails asking about how best to understand and read the Bible, as well as how to have a vibrant devotional life. Let's find out. All right, let me read these three emails to you that I have received over the last few days. Uh, The first of them is, Hi, Pastor Rob. You don't know me, but my husband and I pastor a church in another state. Pastor Rob, we are friends with Shane Willard, who this morning in a mentoring session mentioned your recent Facebook messages about eternal mercy. I've just finished watching the interview with Shane and will also now watch your first message. I wanted to message you and say thank you. Thank you for having these conversations in an open forum. Wow, that takes some courage. But for all of us who are privately wrestling with some of our long-held fundamental beliefs, to hear you openly speaking about it is so encouraging. As senior pastors, we've had to seek out private Facebook groups from overseas to find safe environments in which to deconstruct some of our beliefs without fear of being called heretics. So just had to reach out and say a big thank you. I hope you continue to discuss some of these big deal beliefs, uh, blessings. Isn't that lovely? I love that. And I know there's other pastors uh, who watch and listen to this as well. And I think it's so important that the church leaders are able to work these things through and and without the the fear of being labelled by other people as being heretical or whatever. You know, we, we love Jesus with a passion, but we also need to be able to work through our faith as our faith grows and develops. And I'll touch on that a whole lot more later on in our discussion because I, I want to talk into the whole deconstruction of someone's faith and then subsequent reconstruction and give you some healthy ways to do that because I've watched some people do it and it's become a mess. It's been really unhealthy. And I believe this is something of the Spirit of God that He's doing amongst people, has been doing it from, from the beginning of the church. And we see this reflected even in the New Testament scriptures uh, as, as they had to deconstruct ways of believing and ways of looking at things. And, and reconstruct a healthier view uh, of God and the Word of God and of Jesus. And so this what we're going through in this day and age is nothing new, okay? Really important that we understand that. So how can we healthily deconstruct and reconstruct in our faith? And uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. The second email I received, it says, Hi, Rob. I hope you're doing okay with the lockdown. Thanks so much for the Tuesday night shows. It's been so good to watch these during the week. I love the progressive Christianity definition and that you are on board with this. I prefer to keep a low profile online so I don't interact there. But if I did, there would be lots of likes. Smiley face. I've been struggling a bit with some of the teaching from you and Shane around why Jesus died and also interpreting the Bible. I've done studies at Bible college, so did think I had some idea, but I have now been confused with some of what you're saying. I'm finding that it's affecting my Bible reading as I'm now asking what of this is really from God. I was wondering if you could have some clarification episodes, blogs or messages, or else is there some reading you'd recommend Uh, With why Jesus died, there is a lot of scripture about this, especially in Isaiah, that I feel is not quite consistent with what Shane is saying. It would be good to know what he sees there, and I'll ask him that next time uh, I have Shane as a guest on Tuesday Night Live. With the Bible interpretation, particularly around what is from God and what isn't, perhaps you could advise on some questions or considerations to have on hand when I'm reading the Bible to help with this. And so I'll get into that. Um, 
in just a moment because I think that's really important. And can I say, I love it when people reach out like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've got broad shoulders, you know. I'm, I'm not just in this to get likes and thanks and all of that kind of stuff. I hope that we can wrestle together, we can disagree, we can agree to disagree, we can ask questions. That's what progressive Christianity is actually all about, being able to ask questions. And, uh, you know, I, I, we see Jesus doing this all the way through the Gospels. Uh, he always answered a question with a question. Uh, we need to be able to do the same and uh, and not feel defensive about it, be, but be able to speak into that. So I'm really glad that this lady wrote to me uh, during the week to express that. Uh, the third email I've got here is from a gentleman, and he says, Hi, Pastor Rob. I've been enjoying your podcasts and have listened to each one multiple times seriously contemplating context and meaning while simultaneously trying to keep an open mind. In one of your first podcasts, you refer to the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, something particularly pertinent to those of us with firmly entrenched beliefs from years of potentially erroneous teaching or doctrine, and that is definitely a process I am grappling with now. Much of what you say is incredibly liberating, and I am truly doing my best to apply these new truths to my conceptual cognizance of Scripture and add terms such as progressive Christianity to my conscious lexicon. Love the way um, he writes. Um, uh, However, for me, the more I hear and the more I endeavor to grasp these new truths, the more confused and, I dare I say, disheartened I become as it is so difficult to know what the truth is. Uh, What was once accepted as truth is now questioned, and such questioning in me has the propensity to create a crisis of faith, certainly questions of faith at the very least. Then the email continues with about five different questions, uh, and I will do my very best to answer those next week. I don't think I'll have time to get to those this week. So um, there's two themes that I want to unpack in the time that we have together in uh, in this chat. Two themes. Number one is about the Bible and how do we read it? Um, how do we know what's true? Uh, what do we do with it? You know, all of the cultural, cultural con- context and all the things that we've been chatting about in recent weeks and also deconstruction and reconstruction. So some of the questions I've put together from those three emails are, how can I know the truth in the Bible? How can I know what is from God? How can I process the deconstruction of my faith, uh, which can be a crisis of faith, as as has been verbalized there by a couple of people? And how can I reconstruct my faith? And so they're the questions that I want to uh, kind of a- address in, a- in our time together. So, um, I think the confusion, now a couple of the people that email me said that they felt confused. And I think that the reason we feel confused is that most of us in our Christian experience have only been taught one way of, uh, of looking at something uh, when there are in fact several views or beliefs about many of the teachings in the Bible. So for example, I I became a Christian in my late teens, early 20s, and that was in a a fairly uh, fundamentalist Pentecostal church. And so I heard everything pretty black and white and quite honestly never questioned it. So I was taught on hell, for example, that that was eternal, it was conscious, and it was torment or torture, and that anyone who didn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour would go to hell and would be tortured endlessly, uh, consciously, forever and ever. I never questioned it. I went to Bible college. That's what I was taught in Bible college. I left Bible college and started my pastoral ministry as an assistant pastor in a church. I taught that there, taught in Bible colleges. That's what I taught. When I started Bayside, that's what I taught. But then I started getting this crisis of faith happening around the subject of hell, and I'll I'll give you part two of that story um, a little bit later in our in our time together. It's important that we understand that there's not just one way of looking at many of the doctrines in the Bible. And if you're anything like me, you've been taught one way, 
And whoever taught you that one way has taught you that that's the right way. They might have alluded to there being other views on this topic, but those people have been branded as wrong uh, or as heretical um, or as members of a cult or whatever the case might be. So there's one way, one right way. It's our way. You have to believe that and that's all you have to believe. And so one of the things that started me on my journey of deconstruction and reconstruction was the CounterPoints series. Now, I have talked about this before. It's a brilliant series. There's 34 titles in this series, and you can order them online. I think Amazon and other book platforms have them. You can get them on Kindle. I've read quite a few of them on Kindle, some of them uh, on paperback. But these will help you understand all the different views on, well, as I say, 34 topics in, in or titles in the CounterPoint series. So there are multiple views on multiple subjects in the Bible. And these are held by people who love God, who are following Jesus Christ. They are disciples of Jesus. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, for one, am not going to be criticizing them, okay? So it's really important that we understand that. So, for example, there are four views on the book of Revelation. Um, I think there's more than that. I think there's probably about six, but this book is on four views. Um, There's five views on biblical inerrancy. Is the Bible inerrant or is it not? Five views on that. Five views on the role of church and politics. Four views on Christian spirituality. Four views on eternal security. Four views on hell. Two views of women on uh, women in ministry. Yes and no. Uh, three views on the rapture and three views on creation and evolution and so on and so forth. So these are these are brilliant. They're absolutely fantastic books. And uh, if you if you want to read uh, some of those, I would really encourage you to do so because they're not meant to confuse you. What they're meant to do is to broaden your thinking and helps you to understand that that good Christian people loving God, loving Jesus think differently on different subjects, and it's fine. And we should be able to talk about these things with one another to learn from each other, not to try and convert you to my way of thinking on the book of Revelation, but that so we can we can talk together about the Word of God so I can understand why you believe the way you do, to ask you questions, to have you ask me questions, and that we can have a really good spiritual discussion uh, as a result of that, which I think is very, very important. So let's get into the Bible. Uh, What is from God and what isn't? And of course, again, and I'm sorry to say this, (laughs) this depends on your point of view. There are three ways or three viewpoints on uh, Scripture. They are fundamentalism, modernism, and secularism. And again, uh, good Christian people, love God, love Jesus, will hold to one of these three views. So fundamentalism, first of all, holds that God is the author of the Bible. Biblical fundamentalists believe that the Bible is a holy and divine product and means what it says at face value, except in cases where the metaphorical intent is clear, such as when Jesus tells his parables, for example. And I'm sure that there are other examples of of metaphor in the Bible. So that's fundamentalism. Modernism holds that the Bible was written by human beings inspired by their relationships with God. Biblical modernists also tend to see the Bible as holy, but believe that context, metaphor, and limitations of its human authors should be considered as well. And then secularism holds that the Bible is purely a product of human creativity. Biblical secularists believe that the Bible represents a literary tradition that has a great deal to say about human nature and the history and culture of the ancient Middle East, but they do not believe that God was involved in its origins. Now, I believe that those three all hold elements of truth. The one that I would have grown up with as a Christian, so from my late teens onwards, would have been fundamentalism. But again, as part of my deconstruction journey, I I would hold less to the fundamentalist view on a lot of things with regards to the Bible 
um, now. So a lot of that fairly kind of legalistic harshness that I used to have about me from my fundamentalist view, a lot of that has dropped off. And what we have is a gentler, kinder Rob Buckingham. And I hope you I hope you appreciate that. So the one that resonates with me more than any of the others these days is the modernist view, um, that the Bible was inspired by God, but it wasn't dictated by him to human authors. I think I talked about that maybe last week, you know, God wasn't dictating to Moses and he was chiseling all the words out on stone tablets. Um, and then, of course, he made a mistake right at the end of one of the tablets and had to smash it and start again, you know. Um, so that's not the way it happened. Uh, that's not the way we got our Bible. So let me just read the modernist view to you again. Think about this. Modernism holds that the Bible was written by human beings. So people wrote the Bible inspired by their relationships with God. Biblical modernists tend to see the Bible as holy. Absolutely. Holy Bible. Um, the context, the metaphor, and the limitations of its human authors should be considered. And so some of the things that we've been talking about in our, in our chats together have been about considering context, considering what sort of language that we're reading. Is it hyperbole? Is it metaphor? Is it history? Is it poetry? all of those sort of things. And then understanding the limitations of the human authors that should be considered. And I love that, you know, we, we get to see that in scripture, the imperfections of human beings, um, that God doesn't cover any of that up. Paul writes about a, a severe disagreement that he had with Peter. Uh, Luke writes in the book of Acts how Paul and um Silas, not Silas, who was the guy he had before he started traveling with first, Paul and Barnabas, had this massive disagreement together and parted company. It's all in there. We see all of the foibles of humanity, all of the weaknesses, all of the disagreements, the conflicts, everything is there. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, on occasions, he'll say, now this is what God is saying, and then he's answering another question from the Corinthian church. He said, I don't know what God thinks of this, but this is my opinion. And so we see all of that in scripture. Uh, so I think it's really important. I, I like the modernist view. Um, and I think that out of the three definitions of uh, scripture, for me these days, that's the one that rings the truest. Um, I should also say here that what I'm teaching in these sessions, these podcasts, is a different approach to the one you'd take when reading the Bible devotionally. And so I want to touch on a couple of the emails that I've received where people were saying, oh, you know, it's kind of taking away from my Bible reading some of the things that I've heard you teach. Um, I, now I'm a bit confused. I, I don't know about this Bible, what's true, what's not. And, and it's taken away their love for reading scripture. And I'm very sorry about that. That's not my intention at all, as I'm sure you understand. And so um, there's a difference between teaching the Bible and reading the Bible devotionally. Uh, there's a difference between Bible study and devotional Bible reading. So teaching the Bible, or when you do a deep dive into the Bible to study it, these are the things that you want to bear in mind. You want to consider the context. You want to look at the cultural and historical background of what you're reading. Uh, if at all possible, you want to be able to study it in the original languages. And there's websites like Bible Hub uh, that enable you to be able to go back into the original language and find out what those words mean in English, uh, all the different English words and phrases that that word um, can encapsulate. Bible study and teaching the word includes wrestling with the text and the tough questions, uh, exploring different views. Uh, it's meant to be a, it, it's meant to be deep and meaty. It's meant to be a bit unpredictable and hopefully a bit refreshing as well. Because if you've been a Christian for a few decades like I have, and many of you have as well, you've heard all the answers, the simplistic answers to the questions. And sometimes those simplistic answers just don't ring true or they don't satisfy. You go, I want more. And so that's what, say, this podcast, this chat is all about. It's aimed to make you think. 
to explore, to dream, to imagine, to see God as bigger, to see the Bible as more expansive and to broaden your outlook as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that is very different to what we would do in our devotional life. All right, let me teach you about how I conduct my devotional life. And the way I conduct my devotions is very different to the way I study the Bible or the way I would teach the Bible. Um, although you can, you can study devotionally and you can teach devotionally. In fact, on a Sunday morning at Bayside Church, I would be teaching more devotionally um, because I always bear in mind in a, in a congregation of our size where you've got several hundred people gathering together there will be brand new Christians, but there will also be mature Christians as well. But I will always try and skew my message toward those who are relatively young in the faith. And the reason I do that is because I presume that, that the people who have been Christians for a while are able to actually feed themselves. So I think it's important that I'm able to, you know, steer toward young young Christians and help them on the journey. But on a Tuesday night, this is more about you know, dishing up some meat rather rather than milk. So devotional life. Studying the Bible is different to my devotional life, uh, which is I want my devotional life to be simple but profound, um, where I trust that God will speak to me from Holy Scripture. And so let me give you an example of this in my in my devotions yesterday. And I use the Uversion Bible app. Um, I, I find that really good. It's got lots of great little reading plans on it. It's fairly simple. And, um, and I also like the verse of the day, which I have disciplined myself to make sure that it's the first thing I look at in the morning. So I always read scripture before I do anything else. Before social media, before looking at a news site, I want to look at the Word of God. And this is the word that came up in my devotions yesterday. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, that's in a chapter, obviously, Ezekiel 36. Um, I'll be reading through Ezekiel and uh, that particular section. There's about two or three chapters that talk about restoration, restoration of spiritual life, restoration of the land. Um, restoration of the people, but I'm not overly bothered about context when it comes to my devotional life because I'm looking for God to speak to me through his holy inspired word, okay? And so that was the, the verse that I read yesterday and it really, really spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me from that scripture and, and not not just, you know, you can take it and say, okay, so the context there is it's about the coming of the Messiah when the whole, when people would be born again and God would replace their heart with a, a fleshly heart and the Spirit of God would be at work. But what does this actually mean for me today? And what truth can I take from this today? Are there, and, and I, I want to do some internal reflection on this verse uh, because my heart at times can be stony. How about yours? My heart at times can be stubborn. Yep. <laughs> and so it's at times like that, I want to recognize, are there areas in Rob Buckingham's heart right now that could be stony and stubborn? And I actually don't like that about me, and I want that to change. And the wonderful news in this verse is that God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And I don't believe this is a one-off event when you get converted. I think this is something we need to experience on a regular basis. Regularly, I need to recognize a bit of stoniness in the heart, Rob, a uh, bit of stubbornness in the heart, uh, and, and to spend time in the presence of God in my devotional time, um, seeking God to give me a tender heart and a responsive heart versus a stony, stubborn one. And so that then becomes very, very practical and you're hearing the voice of God speak to you in your devotional time. So let me give you a few pointers on, on what I think makes for a really good devotional time in the Word of God and also in prayer. So first of all, read a chapter or two. 
And I think it's good to follow some sort of reading plan, um, be it on Version Bible app or we've got lots of devotional resources on the Bayside Church website, by the way. If you go to baysidechurch.com.au, click on the menu and then connect with God. And that brings up a number of tabs. One of those tabs is devotions. And I think there's like four or five different devotional techniques that are outlined uh, there for you. One of them is the SOAP devotional, so that you're reading Scripture systematically. And then, so you read Scripture, that's what the S is about. O is observation. So what do I observe from what I have read today? Is there a verse or a line, a sentence that I sense the Spirit of God is speaking to me, so I'm going to write that down, and then the A of SOAP, S-O-A, A is application, so I'm going to write something there. How does this verse apply to my life? And then P is prayer, and so you use that verse, that truth, in your prayer time to the Lord and, and, and seek whatever that truth happens to be. Uh, also on the Bayside Church website is the New Testament chronological devotion, which is something I put up from a lot of study uh, several years ago. That devotional um, uses the uh, Book of Acts as a framework for the New Testament. So it doesn't include the Gospels, doesn't include the Book of Revelation, but the epistles are all slotted into the chronology of the Book of Acts. And there is a video and an audio podcast that goes with each week's readings that gives you all of the historical, cultural, and language background that you need to understand to read those chapters and to get more out of them. So that's a wonderful way that you can do your devotions as well. So read a chapter, read, read a couple of chapters if you want to. Don't overread okay? What you're looking for is a verse or a line that speaks to you. What what might the Holy Spirit be saying to me from the Word today? And when you found that, stop reading. And you might want to write that down, uh, or you might want to just keep reading it in your Bible, or if you read on your phone, that's fine. And then meditate on that verse, meditate on that line. What is God saying to me through his word. Other questions, how will I apply this to my life? Uh, Question three, how does this cause me to love God more? Uh, Question four, how does this cause me to love my neighbor? How will this truth impact the way I live? Okay, so I've just done that with you with Ezekiel 36 verses, uh, uh, verse, verse 26. I'll give you a new heart, new spirit, take out the stony stubborn heart, give you a tender, responsive heart. So I would ask myself, okay, what is God saying to me through his word? How will I apply this to my life? How does this cause me to love God more? And how does this cause me to love my neighbor? And, you know, my neighbor, the people around me um, are going to be impacted through my devotional time in that verse because they could have met me when I was feeling a bit stony and stubborn, but instead... They're going to meet me when I'm feeling tender and responsive, and that's a whole lot better, right? Um, I also want to share with you, this is continuing about, about devotions here, the ancient Christian meditation practice that's known as Lectio Divina. It means sacred, re- sacred reading. Um, although Lectio Divina is probably best learned with a community of other people, um, like a connect group. I've done this at, in church services. I did one at our men's retreat a couple of years ago. Um, and they're always very, very powerful with the presence of God. You can do this on your own as well. So again, there's four things uh, to remember with a Lectio. And um, they're, they're all in, I think they're in Italian and they've also got the English word here. So if you're taking notes, uh, Lectio, let me just take that scripture off so I don't that's it. All right. So Lectio, the word Lectio means reading. And so slow contemplative reading of a text out loud. Don't spend much time rationally analyzing the text. Don't try to work through it quickly. Instead, let your mind linger on individual words and phrases. So that's your Lectio, that's your reading. It might take 
you know, five, 10 minutes, whatever. The next one is meditatio or meditation. At some point during the process of lectio, one passage, one verse, one sentence should speak to you more than others. Spend some time repeating that silently or out loud, letting the truth sink in. Write it down if that helps. Journaling is a wonderful practice in our devotional life. The third thing in the Lectio is oratio, which is prayer um, to speak out. Use the truth that you've gained from meditating in forming a prayer. Now, that doesn't necessarily need to be a spoken prayer. It can be. If you're a a word person, an oral person, speak it out. Uh, If you're more like me, I love writing So I would want to write it out. I would want to write my prayer and craft the prayer. And when I'm happy with the prayer, I would read the prayer to God. Um, If you are artistic, you might want to paint or draw a picture of the truth that you've gained from, from this scripture. You know, however you like to express yourself creatively, do that as part of your oratio, the expression of that truth. And then the final part of it is contemplatio or contemplation. Uh, If you feel yourself being enveloped by the presence of God at any point in this journey, stop everything you're doing, let go of all the words and just sit back and silently settle into the presence of God and let him love you and you love him. Those times are absolutely stunning. That might not happen every day, but when it does, enjoy it. And uh, and then go out into your day, or maybe you do this late at night, whatever. Go to sleep, enveloped in the presence of God. Um, and that's just a, a wonderful way of doing your devotional life. So there's a difference between reading the Bible devotionally and studying the Bible. Digging deeper is about study in our devotional life. We want to hear the voice of God through the written word, as well as by the Holy Spirit. So I hope that really helps you to understand there are different ways to read the Bible. There's different ways to study the Bible. There's different ways of doing devotions. Find something that works for you. um, And then maybe find a few things that work with you so that you don't get stuck in a rut, so that your devotional time is not, well, I better pray, better read the Bible, otherwise God won't be happy with me. Um, that's not the case, right? God is happy with you whether you read the Bible or not. He's happy with you whether you pray or not. He loves you with an everlasting love. You are worthy because of Jesus Christ. And so we don't pray and read Scripture because they're things that we've got to tick off our to-do list. We do those things because we actually love God and He loves us. And we want to spend some uninterrupted time in His presence and and that's ultimately what it's all about. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and that it helps you with your understanding of the Bible and how it applies to life. If you're finding it helpful, please let others know about it. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. That goes a long way to help other people find us. And please like us on Facebook. Now back to Rob. Let's have a look at how can I process the deconstruction of my faith. I've had several people say to me in recent times that they're going through a faith crisis. So they're deconstructing, but they're deconstructing too quickly. And I'll touch on that in just a moment. And then how can I reconstruct my faith? So Here's an example of a message I've received recently. Got to be honest, there's a pervasive feeling of absolute devastation and betrayal at the loss of what I used to think and was taught to believe to be true. When I started to remove parts of the altar, started asking questions, started to get really honest and stand for myself and my family, the whole temple crumbled. Now that I'm Glad to say it's not a result of my Tuesday night Q&A, or at least I don't think it is. Um, But what's happening there is a total deconstruction that's happening too quickly. Okay, so what we want to do with deconstruction is we want to renovate. We don't want to destroy. We We don't want a total deconstruction. We want a partial 
deconstruction, and we want to see deconstruction as an as a process rather than as an event. We don't just get up one morning and go, right, I've deconstructed, what's next? It's, it's a process, and you will deconstruct on different subjects in the Bible at different times, okay? So a little bit of my history that I touched on uh, earlier, it, it came about, hell was probably the second thing that I started to be challenged about. The first thing was the genocide passages, particularly in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew scriptures, because um, I'd look at those, I'd go, oh, goodness, you know, this is horrific, where God is saying to people, go in, kill everybody, the pregnant women, the old women, the, the children, keep the animals, keep the money, but kill all the people, you know, and I'm looking at this and going, God, is this you? Because I don't see that reflected in the God that is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I see a very different God. So what's going on? And so I started going through this time. I didn't even know the word deconstruction. This is several years ago now. It might, it might be 10, 10 years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, yeah, probably a little bit more. And, and so I started, I came across the CounterPoint series that I mentioned earlier, and I found the one on the genocide passages, and I read that while I was on holiday. Yes, I know, what is wrong with me? And that really helped me to understand um, why there are like four or five different views on the genocide passages. And I read the five different views, and I read the counterpoints. So the different theologians would then discuss one person's view and wrestle with it together respectfully. And then the second person would present their view of scripture and the genocide passages. And then the other three or four would wrestle with that one and so on and so forth. And I came to some conclusions that I felt reflected better the God that I know that is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And so I deconstructed and then reconstructed that area. The, the genocide passages don't bother me anymore because of that. And uh, so I did the same with hell, right? I, I just got to the point where I thought, it's just, it seems to me so wrong that, that God in his love would um, make some people for eternal damnation. That's what some Christians teach. Um, or that some people, if they had not heard of Jesus, would not be able to respond to him, but then would go to hell and all of these sorts of things. And I just felt like, you know, eternity is a very long time and you don't want to spend eternity being consciously tortured. And I don't see that in the nature of God as revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And so, again, counterpoint series, four views of hell, very helpful, read it on holiday. Christy's shaking her head at this point. And that really helped me to deconstruct and reconstruct. And I think I'm re still reconstructing uh, on, on the whole topic of hell, but I'm certainly a lot more comfortable with where I'm at now than I was when I first started doing this about a decade ago. So I began to deconstruct and reconstruct, but I've, I, I've not gone too quickly on it. And I think that's really, really important. Let me define these things for you first. What is deconstruction? I love the synonyms here. Deconstruct means to analyze, to critique, to review, and yes, to decompose. And you know, some theology, some views that some people have preached over the years, they just need to decompose now. They need to be fertilizer to grow healthier views of God and his word. But the other words there are really important, I think. Uh, we need to be able to analyze scripture. We need to be able to analyze our beliefs. And we need to be able to critique and review those things on a regular basis. Why do I believe what I believe? Uh, I've done that as well. Uh, when it comes to decomposing, my, my view of revelation has decomposed and a much healthier one has blossomed out of the compost of my decomposition. Um, again, the CounterPoint series, four views on the book of Revelation, very helpful. Um, I got to the point where revelation to me was very confusing. I had 
been introduced in my late teens and early 20s to the Hal Lindsey books and to a lot of other teaching, which was all futurism. And I had only ever thought that Revelation was about the future and it probably was about the near future. In other words, Jesus was coming back any time. When I became a Christian in the late 70s, early 80s, the planets were going to align in 1983. There was going to be a tumultuous time on the planet Earth at that time. And that was going to be the beginning of the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist was going to be revealed and Jesus was going to be back in 1988 because that was a generation from the formation of Israel as a nation in 1948. So when God called me to be a pastor and uh, go to Bible college for three years in 1985, I'm thinking, why does he want me to be in Bible college when Jesus comes back? And so I decided I'd go to Bible college for one year. I'm glad I changed it to three. I started pastoring in 1988 full-time and um, uh, Jesus still hasn't come back and here we are in 2021. So what I've learned over the years is that my view of Revelation actually really, you know, I, I have lots of friends who are futurists and they love Jesus, but but I don't agree with that approach anymore. And I think the view I have of Revelation is actually a lot healthier. And one of the things that actually helped me was learning that um, Revelation was introduced into the canon of Scripture. It was the last one of the last two books to be accepted into the final canon of the New Testament scriptures that was Revelation and the book of Hebrews. And Revelation was admitted into the canon of scripture on the proviso that it was never used to foretell or predict the future. Now, I wish I had known that in 1979. I really do. Um, but I didn't but I have deconstructed and reconstructed my view. So um, here's a really good definition of faith deconstruction. It's the systematic pulling apart of one's belief system for examination. Let's look at that. Again, faith deconstruction is the systematic pulling apart of one's belief system for examination. And so let me give you a few helpful hints here for healthy deconstruction. Number one, don't try to pull the whole building down in one hit. So the uh, message that I read just a few minutes ago, this, this precious lady who's going through this total demolition of her faith, um, and I encouraged her to listen tonight, and I certainly hope that she is. Don't try to pull the whole building down in one hit. Renovate rather than demolish. Number two, view the process as a healthy progression to maturity. And so, you know, you think about it for a moment. Life for babies is really, really simple, right? We, we have a number of young couples at Bayside Church who have just had newborns and, and life is so simple for the newborn baby. The newborn baby has to do nothing except for drink milk and sleep and, and poop and, and then cry occasionally when one of those three needs is not being met. It's basically they've got wind or, or if they're hungry or if the nappy needs to be changed, they will cry and you need to sort it out. Other than that, life is very simple. But, but life doesn't stay that way because babies grow into toddlers and then children and, and then children go to school and they learn increasingly complex things that are age-related and then they graduate from high school, they go to university and then they, they start in the workforce and then they, life just becomes incredibly complex. And, and our Christian lives are the same as well. In 1 Peter 2 verse 2, uh, Peter says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So when you first come to faith in Jesus, you just want to drink the milk and it's, it's all amazing, it's all simple and it's assimilated easily. But we shouldn't stay as newborn babies as Christians. We need to be able to grow. Uh, I, I think that's, that's one of the challenges that, that we see sometimes and, and, and that is that we see Christians 
that are adults still in high chairs. <laughs> They've never grown up. They're still in a high chair. Uh, the writers of the Hebrews was writing to a group of people that should have grown up, but they hadn't. Look at this. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And he's not writing that to encourage them. Uh, well, he probably is to encourage them to grow up. Uh, and to get into the meat of the word. And so we've got to view this process. If you are going through deconstruction, first of all, don't try to pull the whole building down in one hit. Just do one thing at a time, like I did. You know, touch on genocide or revelation, whatever is concerning you in the Bible. There might be several things. Pick one. Pick one. Do some study on that. If you need some guidance, I'm, I'm happy to guide you on that. Secondly, view the process as a healthy progression to maturity. Uh, I encourage you to see the process of deconstruction and reconstruction as a healthy progression to growing up in Jesus, to becoming mature in our faith. Number three, number three, hold fast to the truth that never changes. This is so incredibly important. Uh, the truth that never changes, as outlined for us in the great creeds of the church, and, and the two creeds particularly, the Apostles' Creed, which was birthed around instruction for baptism. Go online, find the Apostles' Creed, print it out, stick it in your Bible, read it on a regular basis. The Nicene Creed, let me read that to you. This uh, was developed, I think, around the third century. It's a marvelous summary of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. These are the things that we should never change, that we never let go of. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. That stuff's rock solid, folks. It really is. Those creeds, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, the other great creeds of the church, summarize the great doctrines, the teachings of Christianity. And I would add to those things that Jesus said were the most important things. He said when he was asked, what's the most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second uh, commandment is like it and is equal to it, really. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those things are, are rock solid foundational. Whatever you're deconstructing, reconstructing, never let go of those wonderful truths Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself in everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, the entire Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, what we refer to as Christians as the Old Testament, summarized in one verse in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. And so make all of these things your foundation as you renovate the building of your faith because as long as you have a solid foundation and you're not knocking and demolishing the entire thing down in one hit, then your faith won't collapse. Remember Jesus' parable in Matthew 7, 
verses 24 to 27, where he talked about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the foolish man building his house upon the sand. We need to be wise people and make sure that we're building the house of our faith on a solid foundation, and they are the things that Jesus said, his words that are summarized in the creeds of the church, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. By that, you are fulfilling the law and the prophets. The final thing I want to say is this. Number four, don't deconstruct everything before you reconstruct something. Okay, Don't deconstruct everything before you reconstruct something. So as I have explained what I've done, I've deconstructed my view of the genocide passages. I've reconstructed what I believe is a healthier view of those verses. I've deconstructed my view on hell as eternal conscious torment, and I'm reconstructing, still in that process of understanding a view that better reflects the God that is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I have deconstructed my view of futurism from the book of Revelation, put lots of thought into it, lots of study, that the Bible is, the Revelation is not meant to predict the future, and I'm rebuilding what I believe is a much healthier view of the book of Revelation. But I've not done them all at once, and I've still got other things that I want to deconstruct and reconstruct, but they can wait for, for the rest of my life, And don't forget, we have eternity to do this. Jesus said eternal life is that we might know God. So how long does it take to get to know an infinite, eternal, omnipresent being? Forever. There will be new things that we constantly see about of God and learn of God for all of eternity. You're not going to be bored. We'll be like those those uh, angels, you know, in Isaiah that are they're around the throne of God, and day and night they're reciting, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty." And I, I believe that as they're moving around, they see they see something fresh of God that they've never seen before, and they go. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And they're getting this fresh revelation of what God is really like. So don't leave yourself in a vacuum. Don't demolish the building. People I know who have deconstructed everything, thrown the foundation out, walked away from Jesus, walked away from God, walked away from the church. I think that's a travesty and it's completely unnecessary You know that God loves you. You know that Jesus loves you. You love him. Make sure that those things are rock solid foundational and uh, and enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey of uh, deconstructing and reconstructing and growing to maturity in your faith. I hope that's helpful. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Digging Deeper is a weekly podcast that is uploaded every Wednesday. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Rob to speak into, get in touch with us via Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. Next week, Pastor Rob will answer questions related to slavery in the Bible. We hope you can join us then. 